Welcome to the Jig Is Up podcast with your hosts, Darcy and Jason. The Jig Is Up is recorded on the traditional lands of the Blackfoot Confederacy, as well as the lands of Treaty 6 Nations. We aim to bring you new perspectives and open up conversations about Métis politics, culture, and current events, as well as stories that affect Indigenous from all over. If you like the show, or you don't, or if you want to send us suggestions for guests or topics to discuss on the show, feel free to email us at metispodcast at gmail.com. And be sure to follow us on all of the social media at Métis Podcast. All right, well, welcome to The Jig Is Up. Uh, my name is Darcy, and today I have an amazing guest with me, uh, Caitlin McCarthy. So welcome to the show, Caitlin. Thank you for having me, Darcy. I'm really excited to be here. <laughs> so we were talking a little bit before the, the podcast here about your Métis roots. So I thought we'd start there and just uh, maybe tell us a little bit about um, how you reconnected, why you reconnected, and, and I guess what that means to you? Yeah, that'd be great. Um, well, first of all, I'm Métis through my mom's ancestry. Um, her maiden name is Arsenault, which for many listeners, um, they may recognize that as a um, Acadian last name. But she also had um, ancestors who were um, in Quebec, and uh, we happen to be uh, direct descendants of uh, Marie-Olivier Silvestre and um, Martin Prevo. And my apologies if I'm slaughtering names. Um, I'm an English speaker. I, sadly, as an American, and, and I just want to throw that in, I am an American. Um, we, we um, I, I didn't really take French class. So <laughs> That's okay. We I'm, won't hold it against you. I, I'm not good at French not, either. Yeah, you're more than welcome to correct me. <laughs> um, but we are a direct descendants of them, which is the first uh, recorded official marriage between, um, and we use the word, by the way, for um, Indigenous Natives, so if anyone hears me using that word, I'm not being insulting. That's just how we refer to people. Yeah, that's um, fine. But it's, it's the first marriage between um, a Native person and, um, I believe, a French person in Canada. So we had heard stories, my sister and I, and my mother as well, from my great aunt when um, my sister and I were growing up. And we were always fascinated by, um, you know, Acadia, we talk about Evangeline, the poem by Longfellow, who actually lived in Massachusetts, which is where I'm from. Nice. And um, we also heard that there was Native ancestry, but we were told that many people in our tree covered that up because of the massive discrimination that took place. And I just want to mention, it wasn't just the Natives who were discriminated against in Massachusetts, but also the Acadians who came down to settle here, and the, the French Canadians as well. Um, to totally um, sidetrack for a second, my um, one of my great-grandmothers, uh, Natalie LeBlanc, went after the Great Expulsion in 1755 uh, from Acadia, she came down here with her family, and the discrimination was so bad, they actually left Massachusetts and went back home. Oh, and they wow. figured it was better there than here. And it wasn't until the 1800s that David Arsenault um, came down with his wife and settled in Worcester, Massachusetts, which is where I'm from. Um, but as you can see, I love history. I love learning about my family. I love the personal stories. I'm a storyteller. You know, I write screenplays. So I love finding out, you know, who, what, where, when, why, and how, if possible. Yeah. Um, one of the things that when my grand aunts were telling the stories, they didn't have all the details. And it was really the Internet that changed everything for us. My sister and I were able to start diving in and doing research on our own. There was absolutely no way that we could have afforded a genealogist to go digging in all the multiple different places that we had to go. And also, um, it took a little time because we didn't speak French. Um, although I have gotten, I, I must have taught myself because I'm actually able to read some documents now and understand <laughs> what's going on. So I'm very proud of myself. And I sometimes feel so badly 
for um, my French ancestors. Like, I'm sorry, I just speak English. But um, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I will learn French someday, I promise. Um, but we were able, through uh, Ancestry.com especially, to get our hands on the documents, birth certificates, death certificates, marriage certificates, um, written letters, things like that. Mm. So it just verified everything that my great aunts had told us. Um, and it was thrilling. It was very thrilling to um, find out who these people were, to put a name to the stories. And and one thing that we had talked about before the interview started, every writer, and in, in, in as a you know writer myself, we, we all have a theme that we seem to be exploring all the time in our work. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's the theme of identity. I've always been fascinated by that. You know, what makes you tick? What makes you who you are? So, I mean, my Métis heritage is the ultimate search for identity. You know, who are we? Because of where I live, um, we don't have a Métis community. So we really have been cut off from our history, the culture. And, you know, that saddens me, but I'm excited to reconnect with it. Right on. And so uh, you, uh, you, I guess I'm I'm assuming shortly thereafter, you had got, uh, took out a membership with the Métis Federation of Canada. Was that part of kind of just confirming that that your information was right or... Or what was the, I guess, what was the goal there? We actually knew the information was right. (laughs) We had had it verified. Oh, The Ontario Métis Family Records Center. Um, So when I learned about the Métis Federation of Canada, I was really excited about their mission. Um, I I think it's wonderful, their message of unity and uh, being inclusive. Mm -hmm. Um, And and that's something that attracted me. Uh, I didn't want to be surrounded by infighting and negativity. I wanted um, to learn more about my identity. I want to, you know, embrace the culture. Um, Something I always stress, because in the United States, race, identity, very sensitive subjects. We saw that play out with Elizabeth Warren. Um, And and you saw that on the presidential level, but that was even happening when she was running for senator Mm -hmm. in Massachusetts. It really came back to haunt her that she had been checking the box. And, and claiming to be Native American. And she had heard stories, but she didn't have any type of documentation at all. And um, she was claiming in interviews that she was Cherokee in Delaware. I have no idea where she heard those things, but she took the stories from her family um, as truth and it blew up on her. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'm very careful. You know, um, I don't claim to be a Métis. I always say I'm of Métis descent, and that's not to be. Um, insulting to anybody who does say they are Métis. It's just, I'm very careful with, you know, I I just want to know more about my identity and my history Mm -hmm. and where I don't have a community here to connect with. I just feel a little strange, you know, claiming to be something that, you know, uh, it's still something I'm discovering, you know, all the details. We had heard about it, but now I'm learning more about it. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's a great point to make because I think, um, like we were talking about too, uh, you know, I think you can get painted with, Oh, you just want to get something out of this, but I think I think for most people that I've talked to, it's really about connecting and reconnecting of to who you are. Yes, yes. I mean, I, I have no desire to go hunting or fishing. Camping has always been my nightmare. <laughs> I just yeah. don't want to do it. Um, I'm all set with my education. I'm not looking for scholarships. I know there are certain prizes for Métis artists, and I hope those prizes go to people who are Métis. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm all set. You know, Caitlin McCarthy in Massachusetts is all set. <laughs> it's the best place to be 
you know, um, someone with an Irish name, um, <laughs> but it really is. Yeah. And I'm burning on the beach, you know, and I'm like, I'm not experiencing prejudice. So I never want to muscle in on opportunities, um, benefits, rights that belong to people who are Métis. Cause I'm, I am aware, even though many of the issues about, um, that's going on with the Métis people don't get reported in the United States. On my own, I have learned about the issues. Mm -hmm. We we do have a similar issue happening here with um, our reservations where uh, Native girls are disappearing and nobody's finding out why, who's Mm -hmm. doing this, Um, the crimes that are committed against people of of Native um, background. um, That's disgusting. And and that's happening up in Canada as well. So I'm very sensitive to the issues. So I never want to hone in on someone else's world you know i just want to find out more about my identity myself yeah absolutely and and uh so now you you're a writer you're a screenwriter has this yeah. kind of boiled over into your writing at all or in in ways that maybe you were surprised by or just ideas that you had or yes actually um one of my screenplays is a thriller entitled a native land um is about a black native american she is actually um wampanoag in the screenplay um she's a cop battling local prejudice personal troubles in her own police force while trying to find a serial killer on cape cod oh, wow. um some of the issues that are happening to the uh, wampanoag specifically the mashpee wampanoag on cape cod are similar to what's happening to metis up in canada um the Trump administration, I can't speak, I'm sorry, uh, just recently uh, decided that uh, they're going to take away the land of the Mashpee Wampanoag. They were revoking the reservation status. So they're taking away 321 acres of land out of federal trust, um, wow. which takes away their ability to uh, govern on their own land. And something that I'm sure you know, it's not just about, you know, casinos. Mm-hmm. On these, you know, and they don't have a casino, by the way. But it's, some people think, oh, reservation casino. This is their land, and this is where people receive health services, where they attend, you know, language immersion school, and this is where they celebrate their culture. Yep. Taking away their land is horrifying. Um, something a lot of people can may not realize is that um, the tribes in the United States are struggling to maintain less than five percent of all lands in the U.S. Um, that they had before European contact. Wow. That's not much. No, it isn't. So, you know, it, it's just, you have to wonder why, especially during, you know, the, the coronavirus pandemic, why now to take away the land from the Mashpee Wampanoag? Um, thankfully, people are fighting back. But what concerns me is this could be a signal of what's to come for other tribes. Absolutely. We don't know. But um, to get back to my screenplay, all this happened long after I finished writing my screenplay. But um, a native land, a lot of the um, action in the story centers around um, conservation land, the woods um, that the town owns. And uh, there are people being killed, the homeless people who are living in the conservation land. And um, Roxanne, who is the uh, lead, the black um, Native American cop, she's investigating it. And she's the one that starts realizing that there's a pattern. Mm. But her police force doesn't believe it. Um, and, and in a way, it doesn't want to believe it because it will scare away tourism. It will upset, you know, the well-to-do people who have second homes in that village. Um, also, the land has been, in the screenplay, um, a, a, a point of a controversy because at one point it did belong to the Wampanoag. And so the Wampanoag tribe wants it back. Um, so you can see where Roxanne is trapped between 
two worlds. You know, um, she wants to do mm-hmm. right by her people, but she also wants to do a good job on the police force. And, and I explored the theme of identity. And I also um, think about, you know, connectivity in the community, you yeah. know, that we all really should be united coming together. But there's so many little things that drive us apart. Um, and, and sometimes um, and the, the word native land, the native is a play on words because obviously she's of native descent. But um, the people who are locals in the, in the screenplay um, view themselves as native locals, townies. Yeah. Of, of the Cape. So the word is interchangeable, you know, depending on whether it's the lowercase n or the capital N. Yeah. Are right. you local native or are you the native native? Um, wow. That's a real, yeah, that's so, a real play in the big M, little M, Métis issues. So that's interesting. Yeah. Oh, I know. <laughs> I discovered that one too. Every <laughs> once in a while, I'll run into an uh, internet troll and, you know, it, it's, it's interesting being here in the United States. Um, I, I, I don't have any claim to anything that, you know, by saying I'm of Métis descent, you know, even if I said I am Métis, I'm in the United States. Like, I'm not joining anything. I'm not getting anything. Like, calm down. <laughs> and and yeah. I, it still upsets people for me to even put a capital M when yeah. I'm talking about it. Yeah. Um, and the irony is my eighth grade grandparents are the topic of a book. I think it's volume three of First Métis Families of Quebec. So, wow. I don't, you know, it's kind of obvious that I am who I say I am, but there are people who would argue that I'm not who I say I am. And and again, that's why I love this theme of identity. You know, who decides, mm-hmm. you know, is it someone else or is it you? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I actually spoke to somebody once and, and uh, one of the things they said was um, every single person, the biggest issue that people face is identity. And I kind of thought, mm-hmm. eh, I don't know if that's true. But then the more I thought about it, the more it really kind of does seem that way. Because, and I you know I'm not talking like troubles like coronavirus and financial troubles, but I mean like just within yourself, I think a lot of people have some sort of an identity issue that they are trying to work through. Um, this Absolutely. just happens to be, you know, ours. And it's, you know, common or not a common one, but a. You know, it, it, you know, there's lots of people with this same issue as far as Métis and, and identity, but I think it applies to a lot of people. So I think that identity issue is a very important topic to kind of start hitting on. Well, I mean, I even see it um, for my, I call it my survival job. I teach um, English at an inner city public high school, and we have some transgender students. And, you know, we handle them with care because uh, there are people who are trying to deny them of their identity. You know, they yeah. may have been born one gender, but they, you know, a, a phrase that we use is like boy parts, girl heart, yeah. and vice versa. Um, and there are people who refuse to use the name that they would like to go by. Yeah. And that's so disrespectful because it, that's their identity. And exactly. so we have that debate unfolding in this country. Um, we even will sometimes hear, you know, well, you're black, but you're not black, black. You know, or yeah. you're Jewish, but you're not my kind of Jewish or you're Christian, but you're not my kind of Christian. Yeah. And we, we can just pick on everybody. The nitpicking has got to stop. Um, and again, you know, and it might sound a little Pollyannish, but um, the more the merrier. It's like people like, like, for example, the Métis, like you're proud of it. You celebrate it. I mean, why would you turn someone who thinks you're awesome away? Yeah, you know, <laughs> wouldn't you want like more people to join your party, you know, and, and especially, you know, 
were, you know, they, they have the ancestry mm-hmm. and they recognize themselves as being Métis, you should want them on board. Um, and this is something that attracted me to the Métis Federation of Canada is that it recognizes that people had to move sometimes for survival, that yeah. you move because the Métis people are, you know, mobile. And and sometimes you can't always stay in one spot. I mean, look at all the people today who have to relocate for jobs to, you know, eat, to have a roof over their head. And and especially back then, I mean, it was not that difficult to lose touch with your community. Oh, for sure. And should that be should that be held against you that, you know, I mean, what if (laughs) I mean, or like what if you in past podcasts, I heard someone talking about someone's uh, ancestors were in one spot for like six months. And because of that, they are recognized, okay, you are Métis, but other people in the family who weren't there, no, you're not. Yes. It, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. No, so like, like essentially like your zip code is determining this? <laughs> exactly. Well, and that's the <laughs> I, thing. I don't get it. And, and, you know, honestly, I mean, if you look at, if you look at the, the reality of it is, if there, was, if there hadn't have been all the government interventions to try to eliminate people's ID, identities... Um, I mean, where would we be at today? I mean, if Acadia hadn't got expelled in 1755 and uh, they had been able to, you know, grow and flourish and stay there, we'd have a very, Mm -hmm. very different history and world right now. Oh, I wouldn't exist. (laughs) Right? There would be very different. Exactly. Yes, it's true. So I just, I, I always think about that when I think like all these people fighting about this. I'm like, but you don't understand how many how much effort the governments, you know, British, French, or whoever, U.S. US and Canada now, uh, put in, how much effort mm-hmm. they're putting in to eliminate identity. I mean, in 2020, you're talking about, uh, you know, an Indigenous group or Native group losing their land still. Like, they're still doing it. Yes. And, I mean, it doesn't take a brain surgeon to figure out why it's happening on the Cape. I mean, property is limited. Yeah. And you can make you know, uh, millions upon millions of dollars on 321 acres of land. Yeah. I mean, Nashville is a beautiful area. You've got yeah. the ocean nearby. Um, you can have all the clam bakes you want, you know, right. <laughs> and they have golf courses and, you know, have a ball. And you're probably yeah. thinking of all the McMansions that can be built Absolutely. on this land yeah. that does not belong to them. You know, it belongs to the Mashpee Wampanoag, but they're trying to take it away from them. Well, and and, and I always think, wrong. like, let's let's think about that. Like, if if they, you know, um, let's say they're successful and they take away that land. Now let's fast forward mm. eight generations. How how is how strong is their cultural tie going to be without that land, without that connection anymore? Like you're exactly, you know. So eight 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 generations from now, are people going to be fighting with them, saying, "Oh, you never were native," like? And and the and the tragedy is the Mashpee Wampanoag have lived on Cape Cod for like about ten thousand years. Yeah, like, and that's not hyperbole. That's exactly how long they've lived there. Yeah, and um, at one point, you know, they were you know as many as forty thousand, and now there's about four to five thousand. Wow. In New England, so you know the numbers have dwindled. Um, and, and something that they've made a great effort about is you know teaching the culture, teaching the language, really, mm-hmm. you know, embracing their heritage. But you're right. If they are deprived of their land, where are they going to go? I mean, because there are, you know, places, you know, um, like in Martha's Vineyard, you know, that they could pr- maybe go there. But I mean, again, it's not their land. That's, you know, the Akina. It's not the Mashpee Wampanoag. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's just, 
it, it's very sad, especially when you think that the Wampanoag were the very first tribe that the Mayflower pilgrims encountered when they arrived at Plymouth Rock. And if it weren't for the Wampanoags, the pilgrims wouldn't have made it. Mm. And sometimes I laugh and say, maybe that wouldn't have been such a bad thing. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but even Plymouth Plantation, which is a historical um, site that you can visit, and they recreate what life would have been like you know, during that time period, um, the Wampanoags had to fight for representation at Plymouth wow. Plantation and because they weren't being represented at all. It's like, oh, no, the pilgrims did all by themselves. And they finally were able to get um, representation there. But I remember as a little girl, there being protests outside of Plymouth Plantation around Thanksgiving. And wow. I, I thought that was a perfect time to protest because it drove home the point. Yeah, you're, you're celebrating Thanksgiving, but, it, you know, <laughs> hello, you know, you're leaving us out. Um, so it's just it's unfortunate. But, um, yeah, people seem to always be fighting over identity, aren't they? <laughs> well, and it is, and and especially, I think what's what's really hard about this for for myself and for a lot of folks is, um, like there's been so much, I guess, trauma and hurt and pain involved in all of these, you know, expulsions and land removals and just moving mm-hmm. people and and you know the residential schools or the industrial schools, whatever, boarding schools, all these things kind of they did a lot of trauma and damage, and so when people are starting to reconnect, I think that's a positive sign. I think that's wonderful to see people starting to break through that to connect with who they are again. And then you have these people that are fighting against it. And I don't understand why you would want to inflict more pain on people who are simply trying to get answers. Um, Cause my family was like, right. like yours where they hid it. I mean, even to today, most of my family won't admit that they have any mixed blood at all. And that's fine, but that's a, you know, it's a lie essentially right but it was survival at one point <laughs> so so i get why they said no no we're totally white yep you betcha um yes i mean yes I mean, if it meant because again in massachusetts if you were of a certain religion certain background forget it you were not getting hired at all even if you were the most qualified it, yeah. it, and people don't think of liberal massachusetts as being that way but it it, it wasn't and sometimes it still is yeah. You know, we, we still have controversies about um, the reservations and the casinos and people getting bent out of shape over it. And, um, you know, why are the natives getting something and we're not? And you just, again, you just pause and think, are you seriously asking that question? Yeah. Um, have, like, you, you have to ask, you know, again, I go back to, you know, they have less than 5% of all lands of the U.S. that once belonged to them. Exactly. And you're wondering why, why do they get to do what they like on their reservation? Um, Cause they, their land uh yeah so yes it's fascinating to me but again i i don't understand why somebody who's truly in earnest you know reconnecting with their past something that was hidden kept from them why that's held against them when it's through no fault of their own that's like saying to somebody who was adopted and discovered who their um biological parents were well you know yes biologically these are your parents but we want nothing to do with you yeah you know and, and it's hurtful it it's is hurtful absolutely um and again with you know regard to the metis um there are many people who do not want anything for for it just other than acceptance and identity you know like having being acknowledged and recognized yes you are who you feel you are and who you say you are yeah and who you can prove you are yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, that's the irony of it all, that people can prove this. It's not something that you heard from 
your grandmother. Like if you have the, you know, the documentation that shows, yes, here's the direct line. Mm-hmm. Like how can you then say to the person, well, you know, sorry, still not good enough for me. You know, they moved. So <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> they moved somewhere in it the last 500 better. years. So they, they don't qualify now. Yeah. You weren't allowed to move. Did you miss that memo? Yeah. No moving. Oh no. my stay, God. Stay still. Stay still. <laughs> um, it makes no sense. <laughs> well, it doesn't <laughs> because, I mean, No. Well, I mean, you know, cause you could always throw out, you know, Riel, you know, um, his father, he, yeah, he moved, didn't he? So is he still, you know, Ricky? Well, exactly. He and, wasn't. Yeah. He wasn't from where, you know, he was supposed to be originally. So <laughs> how is he Mati and other people aren't? Exactly. No, I always, I always kind of laugh because if you look at the way, um, you know, obviously, you know, the East Coast was where people were first starting to land. Uh, and then yeah. as, as they colonized the land, it slowly moved westward. And then it's like, mm-hmm. you know, why I, I've never understood why, why these nationalists, I call them, these Métis nationalists, want to simply eliminate about two to 250 years of, of history of that colonization and just say, oh, we started in the mid-1800s in this place. Well, how did you get there? You, did, you exactly. didn't come on a boat and, and boat right over to that particular spot. Um, and so, and if you follow it, it follows the lines of colonization because as, as the colonists spread, you know, then people moved westward where, you know, to stay away and more and more west and until they covered the entire land. But it, so it's just kind of a silly notion to me to, to have this like geographic cutoff randomly. Right. And, and again, I think it's, you know, shooting yourself in the foot when you are cutting people off, especially when, you know, yeah. there's strength in numbers and if, you know, East and West could, you know, partner together on issues, just think of how much further they could go with the government. Well, that's just it. And I think it's, I think for me, like I've actually seen families that have, have been, that are really affected by this because some of the family is Métis according to these people and some isn't because they live in a different geographic spot. And I'm like, yeah, but they came from the same people. Like, the, we we literally are not plants. We don't come out of the ground. <laughs> so, right. you know, it just right. seems so silly. Um, it's true. Um, but again, with regard to rediscovering my identity, um, this is something with a native land, even though I'm not focusing on a Métis character, I'm focusing on a character who's Black Wampanoag. Um, I wanted to create a role like her because you don't see that represented in films today. Um, Adam Beach, who's um, a, a, we call a native actor, but he's um, indigenous actor from Canada. Yes. Um, he talked about that, how uh, people who, you know, are not of native um, ancestry are getting cast in roles that really should be going to um, native actors yeah. um, and how their stories aren't being told. And, and I, they really, his words resonated with me. Um, and I wanted because as a writer, I want to be inclusive. I want to tell different types of stories. I mean, I think uh, we've seen enough stories about the sad middle-aged white man who, you know, <laughs> oh, you know, where am I going to buy my cheese? The cheese shop just down, you know, closed down the street. And, oh, you yeah. know, I'm going to find that cheese again. I mean, that's boring. We we don't need to see that anymore. Um, the evil gazing. I, I want compelling, timely stories. And um, who better than someone we really haven't seen, which is a black Native American cop. Um, many people yeah. um, aren't even aware of Métis issues, and I do believe at some point I will be writing about that um, someday too in um, a screenplay, just because I'm intrigued by 
you know, the different types of stories. I, I think storytelling is so powerful. And um, with regard to this issue, I think we would all get further if we all just started listening to each other. And I think that's mm-hmm. something that's been missing is that the listening. Uh, one side doesn't want to hear it because they have, uh, I'm going to say this, they're going to have an agenda. Yeah. And, you know, your story might not fit with that agenda. So la, 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 I don't want to hear it. And um, I, I think that's an, a, a tragic mistake. It, it shouldn't be happening. Well, I do too, and I I, I actually really am uh, intrigued by your your screenplay, um, A Native Land, because it, I think you know, for me, I mean, yeah, every once in a while you want to watch just say a dumb comedy or something, but you, you, there's lots of times where I want to watch shows where you know the characters are as complex as people are in real life, and nobody is just you know one thing. Everybody's multiple things, whether it's your interests, your identity, your history, your even your current family, your extended family, you know, like there's all the, your blended families. So I, I think, you know, the most, some of the more interesting movies or TV shows for me are where you do get more of that representation, like of the complexities of, of people. And so I think that's, that's an, that's an extremely complex character. So I'd love to read it and see how it, uh, <laughs> see how, how it works out. Thank you. Um, I do have a very exciting producer um, who is interested in it. So hopefully the uh, screenplay will be uh, greenlit soon and moving forward in production. I'll certainly let you know um, when, I will not use the word if, when that happens. Um, But um, it's something that has been very important to me um, is to make sure, you know, with with the story, even though it's a thriller and we're hunting down a serial killer, I, I always treat my writing Ernest Hemingway talked about the iceberg theory that you see the tip of the iceberg if you're out in the ocean, but the whole other part of the iceberg like lurks underneath. And sometimes Mm -hmm. in a story, you don't even need to see everything that is there about the character, but it informs what we do see. Um, And and that's something I really tried to apply with the script. Um, It's not a documentary about the situation for the Wampanoags. Um, There are wonderful stories, books, you know, that are nonfiction. Um, this was a great way through, you know, a, a thrilling tale to also educate people about, mm-hmm. you know, the very real issues of, you know, those who are, you know, black and Wampanoag, how are they treated? You know, are they yeah. rejected by both communities, one community, how, how does the white community treat them? Yeah. Um, and, and also about the land, which, you know, sadly now, I had no idea my script was about to become so timely. Who wow. could have foreseen them, you know, losing their land potentially? Um, it's, it's tragic. Um, but I, I think there are a lot of messages in there. Um, again, it goes back to unity, because that's really this hope in the script, too, mm-hmm. you know, about, you know, unity, about the um, connectivity in the community. Um, we have to be good to one another. It's the only way we're ever going to survive. And sometimes I think that message gets lost, you know, where we can become so fixated on ourselves and our wants and needs that we forget there are other people, too. And um, if again, if we just shared stories, people become more human. It's, it's hard to other somebody when you know about them. Absolutely. So that's, some, that's something um, I, I see happening with this, the Matee issue is there's a lot of othering going on. You're not one of us. You're the other thing. And yeah. um, that's dangerous to start othering somebody. Well, and and I think, you know, it, I think obviously it comes from a place of insecurity for people. Um, plus, I, I really think that social media, it's just way too easy to just be nasty on there and not have any repercussions in real life. Um, 
Because I just don't, I just don't experience that in real life when I'm talking to a human being face to face. I've never experienced that no, level of hate. No, typically, so. no. And, and I say this as a school teacher. You'd be surprised. Many students are lovely, mm-hmm. you know. And, and I teach in an area where, you know, from the outside looking in, somebody might say, "Oh, it's the inner city. It's going to be really dangerous and scary." The kids are great. Every yeah. once in a while, you'll find someone who, you know, through gosh, you know, their, their past experiences or who knows what, what the problem is. Um, they're not nice. Um, yeah. You get that anywhere. You get totally. that in a private school. You, you get that in a wealthy community as quickly as a poor community. Absolutely. Um, I, I don't, I don't like to other people. I, I do like to get to know somebody. The, the, I always tell my students, the one thing we can control, like we can't control our identity, like, but we can control how we behave. And yes. you're, you're in 100% control of your personality. If you're a jerk, that's on you. You know, you, you yeah. earned that. You yeah. worked at it. So I do appreciate when I get <laughs> trolls on Twitter when it's not an egg attacking me and they actually have like a real name and not like DJ Jazzy Jeff, you know, like something strange, yeah. Yeah, yeah. you know, they made up like it's an actual name. And because I'm always curious, you know, who are you? So I, I would click if somebody writes something nasty to me, like just on their, you know, Twitter, like, who are you? And I'll read through some of their tweets. And sometimes yeah. like they don't seem that bad. I'm like, why? Why did I inspire you know, the uh, <laughs> troll language from them. And then other times you can see that they're ranting with other people too. Yeah. Um, but, you know, when, when I did, and, and forgive me for repeating myself, when I did share on Twitter that um, I was going to be doing this podcast, um, I, I got one troll. And um, thankfully he was um, taken down by some other people. They, they, and they were very nice about it and very informed <laughs> the way they did it, which I applauded. I was like, good for you. Um, but I was surprised because I had said I didn't think I said anything that was inflammatory just you know I'm going to be discussing my Métis heritage and that's all I had to say you know Métis heritage was enough to send somebody over the edge so um, I'm not sure why that was enough to trigger him but um, it's a very sensitive subject obviously for a lot of people Um, but again I go back to you know I'm not looking to take you know, um, a scholarship away from anybody, uh, jobs away from anybody. I actually yeah. want to create jobs through my screenplay, Native Land, you know, not just on the screen through the actors, but behind the scenes as well as possible. I mean, I, I, as a writer, don't control that, but I have very much made um, that desire known to, you know, my manager and um, the producer. That would be wonderful if we could extend opportunities to the Native community because um, they should be involved you know if i'm going to be writing about a native land we should have natives involved with this project um but yes i'm not looking to take anything away i'm looking to create absolutely people you know and and again if people took the time to get to know my story they'd realize that's i'm coming from a good place um the other thing i always say um i I wish people would stop jumping to conclusions about someone's motivation for Mm. saying that they are metis or metis descent um, find out why they're identifying with it. Why are they saying that? And you might be pleasantly surprised. <laughs> like, wow, you know, you're, you're fabulous and you just want to celebrate who you are. Absolutely. Again, not looking to take anything from me. And it would calm the situation down. It's painting people with a broad brush. That's the issue. Well, it's funny because I, uh, I think for most people that are trying to reconnect, um, they I mean, they're probably not aware of the politics of it all and the identity issues. No. I mean, I know I wasn't. Um, and so when, when you're reconnecting, you really are just like, oh, man, you mean like I have some sort of tie to this really amazing 
culture and group of human beings. This is unbelievable. I can't believe I have this. And then and then the negativity starts coming in and, and it almost makes you afraid to even just yes. say anything, do anything, be part of anything, which I think in and of itself is even even a more of a crime. It's like, man, people shouldn't be afraid to to go to an event or say they are who they are. That should just never be what right. they're afraid of, you know? No, no, the, the bullying, it shouldn't be happening. Um, and it, it's the immediate, sometimes vicious reaction that yeah. people receive um, that, that's uncalled for. Um, again, you need to know someone's story. Who are they? Where are they coming from? Why are you attacking somebody? You, you don't even know what's motivating them. You're making this terrible assumption. And as I was always told, anytime you assume you're making an ass out of you and me, exactly. don't do it. <laughs> don't do it. Um, but, you know, I think, it. I, and again, you have to question sometimes why is somebody assuming the worst? Um, mm-hmm. I was also told it takes a thief to suspect the thief. Yeah. Um, I don't operate from a place of thinking someone's trying to take from me because I don't take from other people. Exactly. Um, so when people start thinking you want something from me, what, what are you trying to take from somebody? Why is that immediately popping in your mind? They, yeah. I would recommend some people do some self-reflection on that. And I know that might sound really condescending coming from an American, but I, I say this to my students, to everybody, you know, ask yourself, why am I being so negative or why am I you know, having a knee jerk reaction yeah. to something. And it's usually not the other person. It's coming from you. Like something's inside you doing it. And and you have to ask yourself, what is it and why? And yeah. hopefully stop it. <laughs> if you're being mean to somebody. Well, that's just, I mean, it. and again, as, and as an educator, I always look at as, uh, you know, if, if I disagree with somebody, I don't attack. I, I try to take the opportunity to educate them. Yeah. You know, to have the conversation with them. Well, yeah, and or to even to just understand their point of view, even if you're not ever going to agree, like there are ways you can just have a conversation and, and actually, even though you may not agree with them, you can understand how their thought process worked and they got to that that idea or decision that that's what they're going to believe in. Like I, even to just be open, you know, open your ears and your heart a little bit to just be open to these things. I think that's a universal thing. That's not a, any, you know, and that goes so far beyond Métis. That's just everything. I think you should just be that way in general in life. Um, yeah, and I am that way. Um, I'll touch upon the upcoming presidential election. Um, and this is something I'm not ashamed to admit. I'm an independent voter. I don't belong to the Republican or Democratic Party. I, mm. I'm in, uh, some people say, you're in the middle. You can't pick a sign. <laughs> but I, I, like to, I like to vote for the person and not the party. Absolutely. So I have many friends who are Democrats, many friends who are Republican. And it's very telling with certain people when they'll say, if you're voting for so-and-so, don't ever talk to me again. And, and they feel that way, not just about friends, but family. Yeah. And um, I just, I disagree with that. I think, you know, obviously if you like somebody and then you find out they're voting a certain way, you're going to cut them off forever. Um, talk to them. And, and yeah. again, you don't have to agree with them, but why are you feeling a certain way? And, and, and discuss it. And, yeah. um, not, you know, not everyone's a villain. And so yeah, I, I like to find out why people are, you know, coming to certain conclusions. And again, you don't have to change your mind, but try not to be so disrespectful, you know, well, of, of well, where they're coming from. Exactly. And, 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 and just as a human being, I mean, you can be respectful to people and still disagree and everybody walks yeah. away feeling pretty good about it. It's, it's quite okay. 
Um, yeah. So now going back to your writing, like, I mean, you've got a plethora of awards for your screenplays and stuff. Um, I was going to try to list them all and I'm like, oh man, I don't have time to type that much. <laughs> so congratulations on that. But um, so why, um, I guess, why did, did you purposely choose screenwriting kind of as your, I mean, as your, probably your main platform of, of writing or do you, like, how did it come to be that you started writing screenplays? Well, you know, you know, the old saying, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. I literally had a teacher appear for me. I was uh, moving from public relations into uh, becoming an educator. And I was going through a mid-career professional teaching training program in Brockton, Massachusetts, which is another inner city um, in Massachusetts, um, considered kind of rough and tumble. Um, So I was not allowed to teach. I was observing. The uh, teacher did not show up that morning for a class. I was sitting in the back and all the students are filing in. There are about 30 students total. And I, I don't know how things are up in Canada, but when you have a sub or the teacher's out, the kids get a little uh, <laughs> rambunctious. A little bit, yeah. So I, quickly, yeah. I quickly ran across the hall to um, a, a neighboring teacher to ask, um, could you call the main office? I didn't even know how to use the phone because it was a weird phone system. Uh, call the main <laughs> office to find out where the teacher is, what's going on, because I could feel in like two seconds the situation was going to deteriorate. Yeah. Um, she assisted me. Uh, we ran into each other uh, later on in the uh, teacher's uh, lounge, for lack of a better word. And um, she asked what I like to do outside of work. And I said, oh, you know, I'm working on a book. I was working on a novel. And mm-hmm. she said, oh, my cousin's an Oscar-nominated director. You two should meet. Oh, and wow. when you hear something like that, the answer is always, yes, <laughs> you're <laughs> yeah. absolutely right. We should meet. Absolutely. So, her, her cousin is an incredible Oscar-nominated writer, director. Her name's Mattia Carell. Uh, she was nominated for a short film called Cadillac Dreams. Uh, she lost to Stephen Wright, the comedian. Oh, so, wow. So I can, you know, he's he's great, and he's from Massachusetts, too, so I can't hate on him for that, <laughs> although I do love Mattia. Uh, so I did meet Mattia, and we hit it off, and she asked me, I love your book. You know, do you think you could turn this into a screenplay? Again, the answer is yes. I can totally <laughs> turn this into a screenplay. I've never written one before in my life. So I run to the bookstore and I find, you know, screenwriting for dummies. That's actually the title. And wow. I also looked online for um, some other books and I ordered the you know final draft screenwriting software. And mm. I wrote the first draft of my screenplay and it was terrible. Terrible. And for whatever reason, she saw something in me, definitely not in the script, but something in me where she thought, I can work with you. And so it was like a master class where she taught me how to write a screenplay. And I just fell in love with the format. Because um, wow. with, a, with, a, with a book, you know, you're getting into interior thought. With a screenplay, it's action and dialogue. So it's a challenge. And mm. it's really a craft. You know, you have your first act, second act, third act, um, and you have to hit certain points in order for the um, audience to remain engaged. And I I imagine, you know, if somebody was really into like writing a haiku, it's like that. Like you're just fixing on, ooh, I'm going to make this format work, you know, and and get across my point in a certain amount of pages. So I just, I love the challenge of a script and I just kept doing it. Um, I have written a book since then, so I have not completely turned my back on writing long-form fiction. But screenplays just really seem to, I don't know, feed my soul, for lack of a better term. Oh. Um, and I have done really well. This past year, 
um, the Academy Awards people, the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences, they have a screenwriting contest called the Nickel Fellowship. Yeah. And over 7,000 people entered it, and I was uh, one of the top 10 high-scoring women in the competition. Wow. So I was very excited, but you know, I beat out over 7,000 people to hit that point. So my screenplay itself, uh, Wonder Drug, reached the top 50, and within the top 50, I was in the top 10 of the women. So that was quite um, an achievement. Yeah. Um, and I, I've won other um, prestigious awards within the industry as well. Um, Wonder Drug was a Sloan script at the Hampton Screenwriters Lab, which is affiliated with the Hampton Film Festival. Um, I'm <laughs> going to love this word. This actually the, the list is called the bitch list. <laughs> the highlights. Oh. <laughs> the, um, <laughs> and some people would say I've been on it forever. <laughs> I didn't need to be appointed to it. <laughs> but I made the bitch list officially. Um, nice. and, and highlights the best unproduced female screenplays. Um, you know, female written screenplays. And um, so I was ex excited to reach that. And um, th there have been some other um, honors as well along the way. So I've gotten a lot of recognition that has just validated this journey that I'm on the right path. Uh, keep going. Mm -hmm. um, something that a lot of people may not realize is women, even though that we graduate from film schools and uh, creative writing programs at higher amounts than men, uh, there are fewer women directing, producing, uh, writing in Hollywood than men. For example, um, I believe last year, 2019, 89% um, of produced, the top 100 uh, produced um, screenplays uh, were written by men. Yeah. And uh, only 11% that were produced were written by women. Wow. Uh, a woman has not, a woman has not won an Academy Award for Best Original Screenplay our best adapted screenplay in over a decade. The last uh, screenplays were Juno and Brokeback Mountain for original and adapted. And we know how long ago those movies came out. Wow. So, you know, the odds are against you as a woman. And the argument cannot be made, oh, it's merit. You know, you're just not good enough. You know, yeah. if you try really hard, you'll maybe <laughs> you'll get ahead. It, it, it doesn't work like that. Um, so there's a lot of discrimination um some of the bias is unconscious but i would tend to lean more toward it being conscious um again it goes to the status quo if, if everything's all set for you why are you going to let somebody else in they might take from you and this seems to be a yeah. theme in my life doesn't it <laughs> like, <laughs> it's a major issue as well like i'm not going to let you in you know yeah. to my group because you might want something that i have yeah. you know? um but so with screenwriting, you have to, as a woman, you're doing it first and foremost for yourself. You love it. Mm -hmm. um, and and I, I will do it whether I get produced or I'm not produced. It's, they, they, people cannot take that away from me. Yeah. That's something I enjoy doing. Um, when I like to be produced, I'd love it. Of course. I'm not insane. And I've loved yeah. to win an Oscar. I've had my speech ready for decades. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready to go. I know what I want to wear. I know what I want to say. I know who I want to thank. I'm all set. So just give it to me. <laughs> well, it's all about being prepared, right? You got to be prepared for that moment. <laughs> oh, gosh, yes. I would totally be all over it. So if that happens, you know, as I'm walking up, there she goes. She's got it. She's got it down. I don't need to bring written notes. It's memorized. It's ready to go. <laughs> Does it help? Um like I, I, I don't even want to get into the other, the ugly side of Hollywood with uh, Weinstein and everything, but 
Oh, on, the Me Too moment? Yeah. Yeah, that, I mean, Me Too movement was great because it got rid of him, at least. But I think there's a hundred behind him that are need to go, too. But um, does it help, yeah. though? Like, I've read um, and I've heard about, like, um, actresses like... Um, Oh, I can picture her, but now I just totally lost her name. But they they started their own production companies, and they're looking for female script written scripts and female directors, and to to produce and direct these female scripts written by females, produced by females, directed by females. Like, does that help at all? Have you noticed a difference at all in those kinds I, of things? I have. Uh, yes, I think women, and, and I'm gonna in male allies too because not every man in Hollywood is wretched I've had some <laughs> lovely male mentors who you know I, I must applaud um, the reason why I have a manager is because of a man um, his name is Stephen Nemeth he's um, the founder and head of Rhino Films out in Los Angeles and we met okay. at a screenwriters lab in Squaw Valley uh, California and he just took a shine to my writing and he, he saw something in me that he wanted to nurture. And he did this before it was even trendy. We mm. met in 2013. Wow. Um, so he, he's, he's the real deal. And um, so he's been championing me for seven years and counting. And um, my manager's lovely, uh, Barry Crossed, another man. Um, the producer who's interested in native land is a lovely man. Um, there are women though, who are championing um, other women as well. Mm. And um, I'm, I'm grateful for that. It's it, it all helps, you know, us rise. Um, because the, the more good people stick together, it, it makes it harder for the, the, the rotten ones to do business as usual. It becomes yeah. very obvious. And I do believe sunlight is the best disinfectant, that if you expose the bad behavior and tell those stories, and, and it's so hard for the women, and some men too, who have been victimized, um, they yes. often get overlooked in the Me Too movement, yeah. but men have been victimized as well. Um, it's so hard for them to come forward that, you know, I, I respect them so much for having the bravery because a lot of times they will pay a price professionally that even mm. though even now in this climate, you know, people say, oh, good for you. Yeah, some people still don't want to work with a troublemaker, you know, or, totally. you know, the person that they spoke out against has friends who are you yeah. know, now angry. So that's why it's great that um, people you know, are creating their own production companies, their own studios. Um, it's not just women, but uh, people of color are doing it too. So I find the women and people of color are really, you know, moving forward and, and doing great things. Um, I, I think of, you know, Lena Waithe, Jordan Peele, like they're, they're so exciting. Ava DuVernay, mm. she's the director and she's got um, Array, her company. Um, and they're so inclusive and so positive. If you look at the messages they put out on social media, just the way they interview with people, they, they want people to succeed. Um, yeah. Ava DuVernay, who I adore, um, one of her famous quotes is, you know, if your dream is just about you or it just includes you, then your dream's too small. Nice. And I, and I thought that was such a beautiful message that, you know, there's room for everybody. You know, if, if you're good, no one's going to take something from you. You'll just do well together. And, especially the way Hollywood works, you know, one, one person's career will be moving ahead a little faster and then someone else's career will move ahead. But if you're sticking together, you can help each other out during the times where, you know, the career is ebbing and flowing. Um, but if it's, if you're just out for yourself, you're not going to get very far. Well, and it, it's such an interesting thing too. Cause I mean, you think with Hollywood and I mean, there, that is all content. There's a hundred percent content. They need, you know, screenplays and scripts and stories and, so really to go out and find different 
you know, parts of society, different people, different lives to get these stories from, I would think would be an imperative. So, you know, people of all colors, all genders, all, you know, ethnicities, all backgrounds would be welcome, you would think, simply for the fact that that is a whole boatload of content, (laughs) you know. Yes, and the numbers show that movies, you know, about women, movies about people of color make money. You know, if if Mm -hmm. all you want to follow is the money, they make money. And actually, um, I believe I read a statistic somewhere that women with, you know, the female leads made more money than the movies with male leads um, yeah. this past year. So, wow. um, you know, if the bank is there, the money's there, why would you not follow the money? It's, it's bad business. Absolutely. And I mean, you know, it, and it, it, what I think what it does, you know, when you go back to that people seeing themselves represented. So like, even yeah. if, even if your screenplay, uh, let's say it made it and it got a big and it became a Hollywood success, you know, people can connect with that character, even if they're not exactly that character. You know, like we say, we're saying as Métis, you can connect to some of the issues that that person would face. Um, oh, absolutely. So I think that's yeah, really important. That, yeah, just that desire. Like, you know, you're good. You know, you want to get ahead, but you're being held back by the system. Mm-hmm. You're being held back by outdated, you know, modes of thinking. It's frustrating. And and a lot of times um, life can be, you know, death by a thousand paper cuts. You yeah. know, it's not like the big moments that get you. It's the little stuff. It's just that piece of sandpaper wearing you down, wearing you down. Yeah. And um, it takes a lot for someone to keep moving forward and, and to stay true to themselves and, and not give up on what it is that they want. And I think they can definitely see that in the character of Roxanne. Um, something I just wanted to point out, um, her name's not an accident. Um, the Wampanoag, it means people of the first light. And Roxanne is a very popular girl's name for the Wampanoag because it means dawn, D-A-W-N, or bright, radiant one. So oh, wow. a, lot of, um, a lot of the Wampanoag love to name their girls Roxanne, so that's why I named her Roxanne. It, 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 she's not just Wampanoag, but I'm acknowledging that it's a very popular name for that reason because it ties in with their heritage. Wow, that's a really beautiful story. Thank you. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I love names, too. So, and in addition to researching my family tree, I love researching the meaning of names. Uh, the most laughable thing I found was the meaning of my name. You'll love this. Um, and, and my father almost vomited when I told him. Because he had no idea. He's like, oh, God, give it up, Caitlin. Um, Caitlin is Gaelic for Catherine. And Catherine means pure. And I read somewhere that the last name McCarthy means love. So my name's Pure Love. It's oh, just, oh just go away. <laughs> That's so very hippie of you. I know, you know, he totally did not do that on purpose. Um, <laughs> and my sister's first name is Aaron, so it's Ireland Love. And, and again, he's, oh, wow. no, but he's like, That's an accident. <laughs> I mean, they picked the Irish names on purpose uh, because he, he did want to celebrate. My mom was um, part, you know, French, you know, and, and Métis descent, but um, she was also Irish as well. And mm-hmm. he's 100% Irish. And, and by the way, that, that's something else that drives people crazy. Um, in the United States, when we're here, it's very rare for someone to say, I'm an American, unless I mean, there's a certain type of person who says that, and you think, yeah. oh, no, here they go. You know, I'm an American. Yeah. Um, <laughs> most of us will just say what our heritage is. So, you know, if I'm hanging out with another American, I'd say, well, I'm Irish, mm. I'm French, or, you know, I'm Métis, whatever. And then you'll run into people from Ireland who'll say, you're not Irish, you're a plastic, and this is a phrase they use, plastic patty, you're fake. Oh, my God. You're not really, 
And, and I always think to myself when they attack you for calling yourself Irish, like, okay, first of all, you don't understand that's just what we do here in the U.S. We're not saying we're born in Ireland. We're recognizing that part yeah. of our past. But um, secondly, why would you turn away someone who feels warm and fuzzy about your country? Yeah, wants exactly. to visit there, wants to spend money there. If somebody's messing with you politically, we'll side with you because we identify with you. It makes mm. no sense. And, and I think of the Métis that way too. Like, why are you turning away people who feel warm and fuzzy, mm-hmm. want to support you? If somebody yep. was messing with you, would say, stop that. That's wrong because we're identifying. You know, why, why turn that good feeling away? Absolutely. Absolutely. A hundred percent agree. Um, so I guess we're coming up to an hour here. Is there anything, I guess, what projects are something that you're working on that's coming up? Is there anything you want to tell us that, um, that we might be able to see here sooner or anything like that? Well, I'm very hopeful that you will be seeing a native land and wonder drug very soon. Um, because I have a producer who's interested in wonder drug as well. Right on. Um, I am finishing. Yeah, I'm very excited. So I have, and that's something that a lot of writers, um, go through is that there's a lot of leading up to the big moment where the, the <laughs> movie gets produced and you, you sometimes we'll have people say so how's it going you're like you're <laughs> still going <laughs> you're on the right path but it could be you know it's that old ketchup i don't know if you have the ketchup commercial for heinz ketchup and his location it's like a waiting yeah, for it to yeah. come out of the bottle absolutely um yeah you're just you're, you're alive in anticipation um, but i am finishing up um, a novel and I'm also um, going to be partnering on uh, writing a TV pilot with a very exciting um, female writer from the UK. She's from Scotland, actually. So I'm excited for that as well. So I always have something cooking. Right you know, when I'm finishing up one project, I have something else to work on. Um, but the project I'll be working on with the uh, Scottish writer is for TV. So I write not just feature film, but I write for TV as well. Now, I, I had read, I did a little look and digging into you yesterday, and I read that you get up at 3 a.m. to write? Is that? Yes. Uh, yes. Well, right now I'm not getting up at 3 a.m., which is glorious. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's terrible why. You know, we have a shutdown because of the pandemic. Yeah. Um, the schools. So we're doing remote learning. But uh, my school day starts at 7.10 a.m., which is a hideous hour. I am not a morning person at <laughs> all. <laughs> and I mean that truly not at all. Um, but the, I found through, you know, trying to, you know, go to school, come home, take a nap, drink some coffee and write at night. It, it wasn't working. Mm. Um, I, I find that if I get up before work at 3 a.m., it allows me, that that's the first thing I'm doing in the day. I don't have the clamor of the classroom in my head. I can focus. Mm. And, and I refer to it as my morning pages. Um, something you'd be surprised about, though, I'm not alone in getting up at that hour. There are some other writers, and you see them on Twitter, because we always kind of check in, you know, that we're up and, and use the hashtag writing, <laughs> <laughs> And you'll see that they're awake at some horrible hour. Um, my favorite writer who's up at that hour is the um, screenwriter and showrunner, um, Brian Koppelman. He has a TV show called Billions, oh, which wow. is airing on Showtime. And um, he's, I, I call him my Twitter friend uh, because we've been you know, chatting back and forth on Twitter for years. Um, and yeah. I have actually met him in real life once. He's very nice in person as he is on Twitter. But um, I, I just like seeing that he's awake too. So even though it's a <laughs> disgusting hour to be upwriting, I'm not alone. <laughs> but uh, you'll be surprised how much you get done when you're a caffeine achiever and the sun hasn't come up yet and nobody's emailing you. It's wonderful. <laughs> 
Well, yeah, I would think at that time just, it's just silence on everything, right? Oh, it's total silence. Even my dog won't get up for me. He <laughs> just looks at me like, lady, you are insane. Um, and his name's Oscar, by the way. So nice. Argue, I do have an Oscar already, <laughs> but he's furry. <laughs> Oscar wants a friend who's gold, <laughs> who can you, hang out with him. You really are preparing for that moment, for sure. <laughs> I told you, I'm ready to go. <laughs> Right on. Well, I, I really appreciate you coming on. And, um, you know, maybe after your book comes out, maybe uh, what I'll do is we'll grab a copy and then have you back on just to talk about it a bit. Oh, that'll be great. And believe me, what the subject is, I can totally talk another hour about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm a talker. What a I, shock. <laughs> I, I just, I love having, uh, you know, Macy people on from that are doing different things because I think it's, you know, whether whether you're writing about Métis or not, or Indigenous or Native at all, um, you're still who you are doing it. And I think that's what's important. And uh, so I just, I really appreciate coming on and, and talking with me for the last hour. So I, thank you. No, and thank you for having me, Darcy. This is a lot of fun. And, you know, I've been listening to your podcast and they've been very informative and I hope uh, people enjoy listening to them as well, as much as me. Uh, definitely check out past podcasts because if, if you're someone like me from the United States trying to learn more about your identity, it's a, like a great way to do it. It's a great entry. Well, thank you. And I have to say you're welcome for your, your, your first troll on your, on your feed there. So yeah, thank you. <laughs> just, I'm sure after this airs, I'm going to have more trolls. So <laughs> please just don't be an egg. Yeah, that's Own right. who you are. And, and, and don't give yourself a weird little screen name. Like just, you know, if you're going to be mean, just, be mean, own it. Yeah, own although it, exactly. I would rather people not be mean. Just, you know, again, <laughs> get to know other people's stories, and absolutely. You know, if you don't like what someone's saying, you don't have to listen to it. Exactly. You know, exactly. But. Well, thank you again so much, and uh, I guess we'll chat with you another time. That's great. Thank you so much, and bye, everybody. Thank <laughs> you for listening. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you want to connect with us on social media, head over to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter accounts, which can be found by searching for at Métis Podcast, or can email us at Podcast at gmail.com. Also, we have started a monthly email newsletter, so if you would like to get your email added to the list to keep up with anything new and interesting from us, please make sure to email us and let us know what, that you want to be on our uh, email list. We hope you all have a fantastic week this week. And until next time, the jig is up.